You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast by Nori, the world's first carbon removal marketplace. Here are your hosts, Ross Kenyon and Christoph Jospay. Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast with Nori. I'm Ross Kenyon here with Christoph Jospay and Paul Gamble, or I should say Christorf. We went to a high rise here for this podcast recording and your ID tag says Christorf. So we've all been calling you that this morning. I'm going to keep this ID tag for a really long time. Giuseppe, too. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, there's an extra E in, the, in your last name. <laughs> <laughs> well, sitting across from us, we have two very distinguished guests. Normally it's one, but we get the best of both worlds. We've got Joseph Williams as well as Brian Young. Joseph Williams is the lead for ICT, which is Information Communication Technologies sector at the Department of Commerce in Inslee's group. Hopefully I got the governor, right? Governor, Governor Jay Inslee. Mm -hmm. And Brian Young is the clean tech lead. And we like to start off with people's story. And I guess we'll flip a coin as to who goes first. I was thinking arm wrestling. Arm wrestling, right. And it's a question of, so it's the Reversing Climate Change podcast. We're talking about building a voluntary carbon removal marketplace using blockchain. So we thought, well, it would be useful to get both the clean tech perspective as well as the emerging blockchain technologies perspective. So we've got both of them. I think we should start with Joseph. So Joseph, for our audience, who are you? How did you get to where you are today sitting across the table on a podcast on this fine (laughs) morning. It is a fine morning. Thanks, Christoph. (laughs) And uh, I've had a long career in academia in the uh, tech industry. I was a Microsoft executive. Then I went back to academia to become a dean at Seattle Pacific University. And then this job opened up and been with the governor now for about two years. And the role that I have, very similar to Brian's role, is we provide policy guidance to the elected officials of the state and the state agencies. And we also are conveners. So we bring people together to talk about interesting opportunities. And we promote the state of Washington like there's no tomorrow. (laughs) That's a good place to be. You don't have to sell us too much. We're already up here. And we like that. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for being up here. You don't know me that well. So But but it's way better than Phoenix, which is where I heard you came from. Uh, Yeah. And I'm I'm a New Yorker. I moved here in October. We were deciding would we do business in New York or Seattle? And Seattle was the obvious choice, obviously for the weather a third of the year, but also for the tech talent and that there are people who probably care about sustainability, which is ostensibly what you care about, right, Brian? Yeah, that that is ostensibly (laughs) what I care about. Yeah. So I'll introduce myself. My name is Brian Young. I am the uh, clean tech sector lead and adding on a little bit what Joseph said, clearing up what exactly I think about on a normal day-to-day basis is I look at a lot of the clean tech sector as an industrial sector upon which we can grow and base jobs and economic development and all the good things that we want. So I tell people I'm I'm not out there banging the drums trying to get big solar farms built and wind farms built and whatnot. The energy generation sector is fine in this state. I'm out there trying to get the people who build wind turbine blades or solar panels to come locate in this state or drive innovation and get companies to innovate and in what we're about to talk about in spaces that'll really Make a change in the climate change discussion we're having at a very kind of technical level that a lot of people I don't think understand. I talk about the grid and whatnot, and I won't say I fully understand it. There's a lot to be done there, and we're doing a lot of interesting work there. Well, people always talk about California having leadership in these kinds of issues. So is Washington trying to nip at the heels of California and claim some of that leadership for its own? 
<laughs> Quite frankly, yeah, Jay Inslee would very much say that he has been a leader, and I think he has been a leader as much as California in many ways has been. Getting into the technical aspects of things, they're just very different places. I would say California has problems that we don't have. I look at our state as having opportunities. I mean, especially when we talk about the electricity grid, we don't have a lot of the problems they've got with nuclear plants going offline, big problems with their transmission systems, bottlenecks, duck curves, all these things. We've got this big, beautiful, hydro-stable system up here with a lot of different characteristics and a lot of different opportunities. So, I mean, if you want to talk about carbon emissions, I would say we already win on our electricity grid. So. And it started so diplomatic, too, and then you just came out. I mean, yeah. And a lot of it is just getting that word out, talking about Washington. We know ourselves up here in Seattle, Washington. We get out. You get over to Europe. You get over even to the East Coast and whatnot. And Washington, Seattle is not as known of a place. What's going on out here? We we have to be realistic about what people think about Washington and Seattle and, and what they know and what they don't know about what's going on out here. But just to pick up a little of what you said, mentioned a duck curve, which is when energy is coming onto the grid at certain times. And so when you add new intermittent renewables, oftentimes that will happen when the energy is being consumed at certain times of the day. So people wake up, they turn the lights on, they watch the television, they push their toast in. And you have huge energy spikes in the morning and the afternoon, and it sort of goes down in the middle of the day. And that's a big question for grid stability because you need to figure out how are you going to get the energy where it's needed at what time and you come into all these considerations like energy storage. And then the other thing you were saying is, well, the ecosystem that you want to enable for clean tech is not so much as deploying clean tech, but it's building the things and the infrastructure that are needed to, to scale clean tech. And manufacturing is something that Seattle's obviously really good at. And I want to kind of stick on this word ecosystem and would love both of your perspectives on it because there's something that this state is trying to do to lead and we believe that it is leading and we commend Inslee for the things that he's doing to exhibit leadership and you guys are like the sentinels that are saying okay we have these large priorities and we need to build something that makes it attractive to make these changes happen. Let's punt it over to you Joseph and then back to you Brian but from the technology perspective what are the things that the state of Washington can do to build a solid infrastructure for an ecosystem to really flourish and lead in this beautiful country. Yeah. So our tech industry is really more of a talent economy than an infrastructure economy. So we have per capita more software engineers than any place else in the country. Part of our core values is the environment. Part of our core value is philanthropy. And so this is a good place to incubate ideas around, for example, how blockchain might optimize energy grid efficiencies. We also have alliances. So you were saying earlier, California versus us. Actually, the Calbee states, California, Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia, we're more of an alliance. We work together. There's the Cascadia Innovation Corridor, which is a formal relationship between Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia. California is sort of the ground zero for capital, so we got to give them their due. But there's an enormous amount of talent up here, and I think we outclass them for artificial intelligence and things like that, where this is going to end up being important for energy optimization and, and energy security. We also have the Pacific Northwest National Lab that California doesn't have, and so that's an amazing resource for us. And we have with the Vista, Brian can talk more about that, but with the Vista, we have one of the utilities that's the most forward thinking about how to do right 
for energy, both at the consumption level and at the distribution level. So we have all the right pieces here. And it's a very interesting place to be active. It's not Florida or Georgia where they're just trying to figure out how to lower their costs. It's actually a more comprehensive approach. And Governor Inslee is very focused on making Washington a showcase. Some serious boosterism going on here. While <clears throat> well, you know, it's what we do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting that impression. Yeah. What exactly are you doing for blockchain? You mentioned before we started recording that there's excitement about the possibilities of blockchain, but there's also some concern. I know there's like people, if they want to use ShapeShift, one of the exchanges, they can't use it in Washington. There's some sort of restrictions that exist up here. What is the attitude? Is it changing now? Where are you guys coming from? Sorry, Ross, what's ShapeShift? ShapeShift is an exchange that's rather unique, actually, where it isn't custodial and like it holds the cryptocurrency. It just passes through their hands through some sort of smart contracting layer. I'm not exactly sure how it all works. I know that you can't use it in Washington or you're not supposed to. I'm sure some people do. We should differentiate between crypto and blockchain. Mm -hmm. So the state started getting involved in crypto around 2014. We do have money transfer rules, which are designed to minimize money laundering and try to protect investors and consumers. We hosted our first blockchain summit in 2016. Department of Commerce has been actively promoting blockchain in the state. It's pretty early. I mean, it a lot of people jumped early. on last year. So. Yeah. We're on the forefront of trying to attract blockchain companies here. And we've been very successful pulling companies in from Utah. We're working on a New York company. New York's not a great place right now. With a uh, bit license. With a bit license yeah. and the whole attitude. The state's not very supportive of the technology. We're also working on bringing a Washington, D.C. firm here. Mm -hmm. And the idea is with the talent that we have, what can we offer them that they're not able to get in their home states? And that's tempered by the fact that our talent is some of the most expensive in the country. So the value that they get by relocating here is pretty high. The other side of that is the state. Shapeshifters not here because they're avoiding Washington, but they could register as a transfer agent. They just have chosen not to. The money transmission laws in Washington are just more strict than other states, perhaps. Is that why it's singled out? There are some monetary requirements in order to license here. We just ran a crypto summit with DFI, which is Department of Financial Institutions, which was trying to myth bust mm -hmm. the fact that Washington is a bad location. GeekWire ran a story on conference, we're really not comparatively difficult. Now, compared to Wyoming, we're a little bit more difficult because we haven't institutionalized what a utility token is and those sorts of things. But we're a lot easier than Hawaii or New Jersey or Maryland or those states. So You guys have such a competitive kind of <laughs> attitude with these other <laughs> states. You're like, oh, some of these other ones. Uh, well, you know, we're, we don't uh, like their approach. Ross, we, you're kind of goading too. <laughs> but well, we, I'm curious. Well, you know, I, I could be teasing Christoph about the... Uh, <laughs> Please, about I, I do it all the time. The <laughs> Mariners versus the Yankees, it's right? It's not I that mean, hard. <laughs> we, we are a competitive state, and that's yeah. part of our DNA. Oh, well, we chose to be here, too. We could have chosen anywhere. Of course, Paul, Paul's been living up here and, and loves it. But if it was a terrible place to be, he'd probably be willing to move for Norway. Yeah, of course. So we think it's worth it. Yeah. One of the interesting sort of nexuses, nexi between the energy side of things and the cryptocurrency side of things is what's happening in eastern Washington. And I'd love both of your perspectives on this. So we're talking about people setting up mining operations. And that's not what we're doing. But mining is today using something called proof of work. So you've got lots of computer servers solving algorithms and then 
downloading the blockchain and then getting validated that they solved that algorithms by other computers. And it's kind of a race. And if you figure it out first, you get awarded a Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency that's using a similar sort of code base. And that matters for energy consumption, because if your energy is too expensive, then it's not going to be viable for you to do it. So we talk about having a very clean electricity grid and very cheap, but suddenly you're putting all of this new sources of things which are consuming a lot of energy. And it just so happens that Eastern Washington is a great place to set up shop. That's where Gigawatt was. I think they got in trouble they, though, no, right? Gigawatt's in uh, Douglas County. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. your perspectives, Brian. Mm, that's a tough one. And I, he's going to get it wrong, so yeah, I'll correct yeah, exactly. what Brian said. I mean, I, yeah, looking at it from a grid perspective, so we have a lot of inexpensive carbon-free energy in eastern Washington. It's not quite as inexpensive as some of the daydreamers have in mind because infrastructure needs to be built and whatnot. But relatively, it's cheap. It is definitely very carbon-free. I personally want that energy to be used in this state to provide jobs or provide economic generation. But how much of it do we send to California? Right. And that's the thing. I mean, we're already sending a lot of that down to California and those dams, there's ownership structures and some of it goes to BPA. Some of it goes into those certain PUDs that can sell it on the open market. How that Sorry, and, and, BPA, PUD. Uh, BPA, Bonneville Power Administration, the main grid operator in our region. What was the other? Acronym? PUD. So, yeah, Public Utility District, one of the many types of utilities we have in Washington State. The technology supporting the advancement in technology, we are talking about through things like deep decarbonization, other things that we'll talk about on this podcast, I'm sure, about electrification of our economy, of our state, and things that require more electricity to do work that's valued in the world. I'm all for. That's what I want to attract to the state. Bitcoins are tough because a lot of power consumption requires long-term commitment, and that's where I get a little nervous. But I'll let the person actually know who's talking about talk about it. We don't have a state policy relative to Bitcoin mining. So because of the structure of the state and the fact that the public utility districts are locally managed, it's a local decision. So the grant PUD has decided to supercharge the rates that they are charging crypto miners. So it's not economical, Christoph, to your point. It doesn't make any sense to go there if it's going to cost you 11 cents a kilowatt hour in Grant County. Douglas County is very welcoming for new investment. Chelan County is holding hearings, I think it's next week, on whether they're going to uh, superprice their electricity. They already have a capital charge that's quite large. Crypto mining is effectively an MBA problem. You have your certain costs of inputs and you get rewarded so many Bitcoins. As they're all part of mining pools, right? Nobody actually is competing on their own. I don't think there's any independence left. There's probably a couple weirdos with basements full. but Yeah, but most of it, you're joining a mining pool mm -hmm. with 10,000 other miners and you're competing. I have a different view than Brian does. Would I rather see crypto miners in Chelan than send the electricity down to California if the PUD is kept whole? Yes, I would. Does it create a lot of jobs? Not necessarily, but it creates a lot of revenue, tax revenue, and it does consume infrastructure like if you've been to Gigawatt or if you've been to Salcedo, they've got those little pods. They are signing long-term leases on those things. They actually are creating economic value to the community. We see a lot of upside. And what we're starting to see is crypto miners are leaving Washington, going to Idaho and Oregon and New York and Quebec. And you've got to ask ourselves, are we doing the right thing by chasing them out? 
my argument would be we're not doing the right thing. And I'll throw in one other thing. They should stay here because the other thing we've been amazing at in the state since the late 70s is energy efficiency. And that's what that industry really needs. I mean, they need through algorithms or their machinery or whatever, they need to drastically reduce the amount of energy it takes for them to mine Bitcoin. So we're a good place to do that. I do like it. I also want to see a real long-term play, like a fully integrated we could do a good Eastern Washington solar farm with battery storage and big Bitcoin mining, like long-term play. I think that would be an awesome idea. So we should do it. And there is some innovative ideas being kicked around right now. Douglas County would be the leader on this. You know, do we do solar during the day and hydro at night? You know, is there a way to come up with a hybrid solution that doesn't put the kind of stress on on the system and is more energy renewable friendly? The other side of this is cryptos uh, attracting an enormous amount of investment. And so do we want to see that investment capital bypass the state? And the answer is probably not. Uh, you'd like us paying you revenue, right? Well, yeah. yeah there's <laughs> nothing wrong with revenue, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, like and, hiring people and wealth creation is a good thing. Every time crypto miners cash out their 10 bitcoins, that creates some money, which we slap a B&O tax on, which is good for the state. And they go out and spend it in the economy, which is good for the local economy. You mentioned, too, that there's some parts that you're concerned with or Washington's concerned with regulating either blockchain or crypto. We are actually are big sticklers for differentiating the two. But where is Washington concerned and what types of uh, policies might we see coming out this next year or so? So our legislature is done for the year. We start a new session in January of 2019. We have no idea what's coming down the pike oh. in terms of legislation. I've got a couple of elected officials statewide who are very interested in blockchain. Lieutenant Governor Habib has already done a briefing to state legislators about blockchain. I expect to see some blockchain-friendly legislation, maybe around smart contracts. Like maybe. recognizing them in the court. To correct, because correct. Okay. you have rules of evidence. How do we introduce these instruments in court? Oh, we're quite concerned about that, too. And like, do you hybridize them and have paper contracts that recognize it so they can use like common law procedure to just go to the written contracts? Exactly. And what is yeah. a smart contract exactly? I'm not really sure because it's actually it's defined legally by the statutes that enable it. So, yeah, I'm not sure how it would be defined by law or recognized. I never, did you read the Arizona bill by chance, Paul, when they recognize smart contracts being legally binding? No, I don't really remember the details of it. Yeah, I don't I don't know the details of it either. But if you're talking about automating agreements when certain conditions are met, contract will release funds to a certain party. If you're asking for a general definition. Yeah, that. Oh, okay. I like to play dumb sometimes. But I, I want to back up just a little bit because we're talking about Bitcoin mining and energy consumption and generation. And when I think about Bitcoin mining and the total amount of energy consumed in the world to do that, my jaw drops. It's astronomical. As I've heard Denmark, it surpasses the energy use of Denmark. Surpasses the energy well, it's use. It's not a very large country. No, but it, no, I, I did not. see it was like 0.5% of all energy consumed is going to cryptographically securing Bitcoin, which is horrible from a climate perspective when you think about how that energy is generated. So if we're talking four cents a kilowatt hour and that's carbon-free energy, good. If we're talking four cents a kilowatt hour and it's China building more coal-fired power plants, bad. And from Nori's perspective, the climate change problem is actually really simple. There are too many greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Right. We need to draw them down and we need to not put them there in the first place. And so... There was a word you brought up earlier, which is utility token. And so when we think about, well, what's the utility of what we can build here? The basic idea that we 
came up with is, well, we need to tokenize carbon removal and we can get going with a voluntary marketplace that can do that and can build the market infrastructure that helps activities that can measure and monetize that to generate a certificate that can be sold and paid for with a Nori token. Is this the time where we should talk about Nori or do, should we? Sounds, sounds like you're going I, for it. Yeah, I think so. So <laughs> so here we go. We're going to wave a magic wand. Um, Nori works. What we do is we enable emitters who have put a ton of CO2 into the atmosphere to negate that ton by using our infrastructure and kind of fits into the broader decarbonization goals of Washington. We don't need to talk about Nori yet, but I want to talk about decarbonization goals, Brian, and the ambition to say climate change is real. 408 parts per million or whatever is insufficient. We need to shoot for 350 or even 300 because goals are important and let's get there. And governors like to get around and say like, hey, we're still in, we're doing more. So how do you see things like blockchain and removing carbon and not putting carbon in the atmosphere and reducing carbon and tracking all this stuff in an efficient way? working and what sort of <laughs> what just, sort of <laughs> just solve climate change first. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're gonna solve it in like the next five minutes so go <laughs> no yeah. problem. how do i see it all working i have no clue how it is all going to work well i mean getting back to i think some things that joseph started bringing up a regionally we could talk about washington state is doing and we will regionally there's a lot of cooperation around here and your listeners should look up things like the pacific coast collaborative the pcc is a four state in one province or maybe even three province deal that is basically taking a leadership position regionally on the Paris climate change. There, there is an active group that they meet regularly. They're fully staffed and they are trying to align West Coast climate policy in these ways and are thinking a lot about these issues. So like how is blockchain going to underlie all of carbon trading and whatnot? I don't know. I mean, in this state, we have 100% everything we do is because we believe that climate change is real. Climate change is a real threat to humanity. And we're going to do everything we can to meet those internationally agreed upon Paris goals. We are developing right now pathways on how to get there as a state. There's something called deep decarbonization, which is it's got its own UN little thinking body on it as an idea of how you get pathways to get yourself to truly a deeply decarbonized society by the 2050 guidelines. So we've engaged in studies and continue to engage in studies to develop pathways for how the state can get there. And we're going to go down those pathways. And it's a lot about electrification of our economy. It's a lot about transportation, especially electrification of transportation because of our unique situation in Washington state. And then there's a whole issue of gas and heat, and it's a highly complicated and there's lots of issues underlying it. And there's lots of needs to track things and have ledgers and smart contracts. And so I think there's an open playing field for how that technology can be deployed throughout that whole global need to decarbonize. I don't know how it's going to work out a whole lot. And to that point, something going on in the state that people should know about that could be one of these things is we talked about PNNL, Pacific Northwest National Laboratories. We also have University of Washington and Washington State University. Those three are a powerhouse and very well aligned, not on everything, in the energy and kind of the clean energy fields. They're very much aligned and very much working on nationally crucial and internationally crucial projects. So Grid modernization, the idea of modernizing the grid in many different ways, what we used to call smart grid. The main national federal research focus goes to PNNL. So PNNL is the thinker for the feds on grid modernization. Big hunk of that is cybersecurity, which Joseph can talk more about. But like the presidential briefing for presidents that get briefings, 
in the morning includes PNNL's cyber grid security dashboard. I mean, that's the level that it's at. So we are doing that. And out of all this research, I don't have as much time to explain all of it. There's some concept called transactive energy that could underlie a lot of this. It's getting national recognition now. But it's that idea of we move and sell electricity in large timescales now from days down to maybe 15-minute blocks. But to do all these things we want to do with deep decarbonization stuff and grid modernization, you need to start moving energy, if not in real time, in close to real time. So bringing down the speed at which we sell energy, so transactive energy, but then layering on a price with that. So it's like a bid system that happens at speeds that we could never comprehend of saying, okay, here, I need to turn on a new motor here in Wenatchee. To balance that out, I need to take some loads somewhere else. Put out a bid system. I'll pay this much for your energy. Da da da. It's happening in real time. You get enough. You get a motor. You get a wastewater treatment plant. Turns off a pump. You turn a motor down. Somebody turns off some AC in some building. So and much. then all of a sudden, and this all happens very quickly. And everybody agrees to a price. What is that energy worth? That energy comes off the grid. That motor starts up, and you've got a balanced grid. This is a very simple way of describing a very complex process. But transactive energy is that it not only is keeping a ledger and, and moving the energy of where it goes, but it's putting a price with that in a, almost real time. And it's That's got to be AI, right? Are humans oh. able to do that sort of like high frequency energy trading plus managing this crazy you know, grid? You know, AI is always that word that says, and then then we have AI. It's and like I don't, the magic. I don't really know that. And then that magic means. happens yeah, and then it just works. Like, <laughs> it's like saying blockchain for $30 million in extra investment on your company. I don't know, but I'm sure what's going on in those. You, you guys are killing me. AI. We should um, have just done a nori.ai. To but yeah, I'm sure there's AI involved. I wouldn't call it a focus of the kind of research probably going on at UW and PNNL. Well, I, I think one of the things that's really interesting is Brian is involved with the state's clean energy fund. And historically, that's invested in new technologies, so fuel cell technologies, biomass, that kind of stuff. And I think with the current iteration, you guys are starting to look at potentially blockchain enabling technologies as a way to approach clean energy, right? Yes. Potentially. So, yes, we would like to more. So uh, thank you for the introduction to the main tool our state does have. And it's a pretty amazing tool that we want to talk more about is something called the Clean Energy Fund that is now about $140 million, basically a grant fund that has focused on research development and demonstration of new technologies in the clean tech sector. It's a big sector, big tent approach. So we, like, we've got everything from wave energy conversion facilities to carbon fiber recycling to fuel cell technologies to transactive energy work across the board, lots of different things. A lot of it does involve, we have a specific grid modernization pot of money that has done a lot of interesting things around grid storage in our state and the idea of looking at microgrids and new concepts of how you move energy around. It's gone gangbusters in that it is a capital fund. So it covers capital projects, hard 13-year lifespan type things. And it's been hard to get it into software use because of legislation, the way it's written. So yes, we are working to figure out ways to get it more so we can fund more of the R&D towards the software side of this problem. Because that's where we're accelerating. We can talk about interesting companies in my space, but a lot of that is on the software side of integrating storage and grid modernization and whatnot. Yeah, it's fascinating. There's a lot of great stuff that I'm sure we could talk about all of those things because all of them pique my interest. Energy trading is one of those things whenever it comes up on the podcast, I always want to talk about. I find it very interesting. I want to talk about this, though. you think this is an appropriate time to lay this one on us? The state through the Clean Energy Fund isn't investing yet in blockchain. So we're relying on our partners in the state 
PNL being the lead partner on this particular project. This is a project which is funded by the Office of Electricity Delivery and Energy Reliability from the U.S. Department of Energy. The partners who are doing this, and I'll tell you what it does in a second, are PNNL itself, Avista, Guard Time, which is the blockchain company that did Estonia, Rocky Mountain Institute, Siemens, and Washington State University. So a big consortium on a $2.5 million investigation. And the thing about blockchain that we all love, right, is the fact that it creates trust and it's immutable and it's secure. And so what they're trying to do is use blockchain technology with super crypto for data in flight on securing the energy exchanges themselves and the edge devices which are providing data into the exchange. Are these vulnerable parts of the energy system? They absolutely are. Yeah. And so this is a trial project that's being run out of the Tri-Cities area. The initial results suggest that this is going to actually be one way to secure the grid and create the trust necessary. Because in the example Brian was given, if I have energy generating capacity and I bring it online, how do I know that it's going to get recorded properly? How do I know that it's going to get compensated properly? It's Michael Denby's whole thing, right? About them not being able to track uh, who owes who what for energy. And yeah. blockchain could give us that, yeah. right? Yeah. In an immutable and trustworthy yeah. fashion. And part of that transactive energy research is directly related to blockchain, not only as the ledger for the transactions, but that smart contract. That's why there's a lot of interest mm -hmm. in it. It can play both roles. And this is opinion. the Voltron project. If your listeners want yeah. to check into it, just Bing or Google Voltron. Yeah, yeah well, very sci-fi name there. Isn't yeah. that great? Yeah. I've got to think they were older than me and didn't understand the reference what they made when they made that name. I don't know. <laughs> what is Voltron? What is that? Is it from something? Oh, really? You don't remember Voltron, the cartoon? It's back yeah. now. I see my kids watching it. Oh, yeah. no, no. There's five lions that flew around in the space age Japanese fantasy world that became a big robot. Then it became like 40 little different bots. I can't believe you don't know Voltron. Just <laughs> 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 so other people know Everyone's here. Good. Waving hands at me, shaming me. This project's KISS. You got to get out. Yeah, the Keyless it. Infrastructure Security Solution. And it's part of the cyber resiliency of the grid mm -hmm. that PNNL does as part of their core mission. A lot of people that are looking forward to, not looking forward to, the next war, the big. <laughs> it's going to be. Man, gonna, we're all looking uh, forward to the next I've got war. My banners. <laughs> Can't wait to get drafted in that. Yeah. That'll be fun. Uh, got a bunch of military hawks in Seattle, don't you, but, Ross? Like the cyber warfare is something that people don't think about necessarily because we've seen applications of it and there are things that happen in bad hacks, but maybe in the future we would just take down the energy grid of a, of a different country. And that might be the way that things might play out. So trying to make sure that people don't lose access to energy, people could die in hospitals, all the traffic lights go out, like water doesn't pump, stuff like that. You can basically hold a country hostage with it. Oh, yeah, it's I mean, very important to secure this. That, that's why it gets, that's why it's on the presidential briefing every night. I mean, yeah, it is yeah. a national security level Threat. I think for your money, too, it's probably much better than a military victory. I thought those are very expensive. You could just hire a bunch of nerds to uh, destroy someone's yeah. energy grid. I mean, I know it's not a good way to go through life, but sometimes I think ignorance is bliss because I was listening to an episode the other day of, I think it was put on by TED Radio, and it was a few engineers who basically hacked a driverless car and figured out that they could very easily take down every component of an electrified vehicle and yeah. could do as much as stop the brakes. They could make it so that the speedometer reads the wrong amount of how fast you're going. Like it's very easy to hack these things and we're nowhere near prepared or able to catch up. And so oh, wow. theoretically 
a blockchain infrastructure to support a lot of the data without letting hackers poke into that is something that we need like today. I was at an AI event last night that the city hosted and one of the members of the audience had just moved here from San Francisco where he was explaining for fun, they actually jump in front of the autonomous vehicles and try to get them to <laughs> <laughs> to veer course and crash and things like that. And, and new type uh, of chicken. It is the new type of chicken, but there are physical hacks. There are data hacks. There are people who you know literally make a profession off of ransomware and things like that. And I think I read that a billion dollars of ransomware was paid in crypto last year, which is a staggering number and just a start. But yeah, the vulnerability of electric cars, of electric airplanes, we're trying to electrify the maritime fleet. But they're not vulnerable because they're electric. They're no, vulnerable they're vulnerable because they have communication. I'd be more afraid of overtaking of a like petrochemical facility because you then have like the ability, yeah to actually <laughs> yeah i think you should also be somewhat realistic about like look at how we took down the electrical grid in the gulf wars i mean i won't talk about it but they're not real smart bombs that take down electrical grids yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of infrastructure that's pretty easy to take down in our world that aren't i think the problem with hacking gets into you have this ability to go after criminals that can use it for ransom and whatnot. But like if somebody wanted to cause mass chaos, you don't need to be a global hacker to do that. <laughs> well, it's nation states as well, yeah. though. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that's where that battle's going on. We've gotten really pessimistic. I want to get us back to the field of optimism. <laughs> so here's what Nori's going to do. We're setting yeah. up pilot projects with farmers. And so we've been talking about new technologies. With we're Washington actually, farmers? Indeed. Oh, we're, we're talking about old technologies. So you, as a farmer can switch from planting monocultures and tilling your field very intensely and using a lot of fertilizer to, instead of fertilizer, planting cover crops and always keeping the fields covered, rotating your crops and more complex crop rotations. What did I leave out? Oh, right. No-till. So putting less compaction and in general, improving the health of the soil and working with our partners at Colorado State University, something called Comet Farm, funded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And the models are great because it allows us to estimate how much carbon dioxide is put away. And these are models that have been funded through the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And so essentially, it allows us to do a couple things. And so it allows us to go to farmers and say, we have this first methodology. What's a methodology? We need three things. One, a way to remove carbon dioxide, which in this case, we're talking about the regenerative practices. Two, a way to estimate how much carbon dioxide has been removed. So working with Comet Farm, we have something called a baseline generator. And then three, a way to list that project, a way to audit and verify that the things that a farmer might attest to be happening are true, and then a way to assign a quality rating to that methodology. And the quality rating is really interesting because it can get better over time. And it allows us to say, you've got this Nori token, which is a utility token. It's like a gift card that pays for pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere, pays for carbon removal certificates that immediately get retired, and then it goes to the farmers or whoever the supplier's account is in two different accounts. One is like an escrow. And so it is restricted based on the quality rating. If the quality rating is better, you have less. And the other goes into an account which is immediately tradable. What that creates is a market incentive to come up with better ways to do measurement, better things to use like artificial intelligence to build a better model, which allows us to estimate more carbon dioxide has been removed. And a way to basically launch our platform with already more or less having working code and alpha users into the system that's like, hey, we're willing to try out this new thing where we'll get paid in a cryptocurrency for putting carbon away. 
And yes, indeed, like we want Washington farmers to participate. And then it kind of gets even more interesting because there's all this data that they might be collecting. And this data is relevant for other things where you get into blockchain, like there's food provenance or tracking of the goods. And in general, using smart technologies with like old, old ways of doing things. Like we're saying, you don't need to till as much. You can use no-till. And these are practices which have been understood like literally since biblical times. There, that was my pitch. Now you know what Nori's doing. That's cool. (laughs) And then is that token then monetizable or tradable? And then right, the idea it would meet regulatory standards or... Paul and I have been working on this for quite a while here, but we'll probably be doing a a Reg D exemption under the Jobs Act and have two classes of tokens. Class A for buyers of this token, they have to redeem after the one-year holding period that Reg D requires. They will redeem it for CRCs. They have a much discounted rate. And then class B, after the one year, they can trade it because you need speculators to help do price discovery, of course. But you also want to make sure that uh, people are using this for what it is. So we're in compliance with securities law and have been focused quite heavily on that. But it's an open field. And part of the thing that Washington State could maybe help with, I know a lot of this at the federal level, but clarity from the government would be nice because it isn't always clear exactly how to be in compliance because these assets don't easily fit into it. Different agencies considered a commodity, property, currency, a security, depending on how it is. And sometimes it can be a mixture of these things and it isn't clear how to actually do right by the law. And I think that's part of the value that we hope to offer by saying we're building a voluntary marketplace and we're going to do our best to get it right. But hey, government, like we want to be sandboxed and be a piece of innovation that helps get this right. So as these things go into more compliance markets or whatever, you have startups that can sort of rapidly iterate and move us down the curve. And you don't want the attorney general knocking on your door saying you guys are out of compliance. So I would encourage you to talk to the Department of Financial Institutions, tell them what you're doing, and they won't give you a legal blessing because obviously they're not your attorneys, but but they can give you guidance on where you fall within our regulations. I think you also need speculators for market liquidity, right? Oh, big time. That's yeah, super cause important. Because you, you left that out. Yeah, yeah. Washington hasn't taken an official stance that I'm aware of on utility tokens in the same way that, say, Arizona or Wyoming have, but it's under review. And so the other thing you could do is potentially talk to DFI about how they should view utility tokens. So the thing with blockchain and crypto is it's so new. The entire concept's 10 years old. If you go back to Satoshi's seminal paper, it takes regulators a long time to catch up with new technologies. And we're at the stage now where we're kind of in iteration three of how we look at these things and input is something that we're trying to collect. So if you have something to offer up and in the context of agriculture, for example, this is all good stuff. This is a big agriculture state. The governor has a strong commitment to agriculture as an economic platform for the state of Washington. It's part of our export economy and it's part of his vision of clean energy. So ag plays an important role. We're not trying to throw pollutants into the water. We're not trying to be energy inefficient. We're not trying to automate everything on the farm so that there's no people working in it. We're just trying to rationalize the industry so it creates the highest value for the state, for its citizens. That's good. Yeah. And and the attitude that we've seen with the SEC and other regulators has been, if you're not sure, you can come speak with us. Where the classical view from the cryptocurrency space has been like, no, no, stay away. I think the Wild West is becoming fenced now and people are realizing that it's time to, for many of these projects to work within the confines of the system and hopefully be part of the leadership and making sure that the regulations are built by people who know the system well and have its best interests at heart too. It's maybe people from the outside who 
end up designing regulations that stifle it. Because everyone's also worried about jurisdictional arbitrage, right? Where if Washington's bad at it, why not go to Idaho? Or if the United States is bad, why not go to Liechtenstein or something like that? Right, right. The value of regulatory certainty, though, is it helps attract capital. Oh, big time. That's We would love that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're absolutely right. People are shopping. I hear all the time about Malta and Liechtenstein. And uh, there's a lot of that. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Isle of Man gets a lot of love. Yeah. Exactly. But the reality is that if it doesn't become mainstream, if it doesn't land in California, Washington, New York, and Michigan, how liquid is it really? We thought about that too, but you end up in these weird problems where it's like, do you want to do business in the United States and in Washington? Then what do you have to do to make sure it stays that way? And it isn't clear if you'll even be able to, even if you spend all the money with foreign lawyers to set something up, it could still end up falling under US jurisdiction. We live here and we are happy to be here and be happy to be regulated here as long as it was appropriate. It isn't even clear if a lot of those moves that people are making will work if they intend to do business in the United States. It might all be for naught. Well, suppose you have these Nori tokens and they catch on and then you find out that one of your participants is perpetrating a fraud on you. How do you resolve the fraud? You're going to go to court. If you're extra jurisdictional and there's no court that will take your case because you're actually based in Liechtenstein, you're going to go to Liechtenstein to resolve this? (laughs) I don't see that working very efficiently. Yeah, that does sound quite difficult to resolve. We have direct flights from Amsterdam. Uh, to Liechtenstein? It's just a quick hop on go to, go to Zurich, jump yeah. on a train for an hour. Well, Malta's like hard to get to. to. You could ride your bike to I feel like this entire episode has been a, <laughs> um, like tourism. For sure. <laughs> I'm actually interested in the Nori side because I don't understand the crypto side of it. But you've got a whole other issue. You're pulling carbon out. You've got issues. I came out of a world used to work in commodities for biofuels and tracking sustainable commodities, sustainable biofuels, ag commodities. That's probably blockchain 1.0, but still like transparent commodity supply chains and blockchain enabled sure. still seems like a holy grail that we haven't seen. There's happen so many yet. projects working on that. There's, yeah. there's a ton. Yeah. But so you got a lot of opportunity there because it is a very hot topic. But then you get into what you're talking about, carbon reduction. So like basing it on the models and whatnot. I used to work at a company that we tried to do what's called red reduced emissions from deforestation and degradation in the Congo of all places with a timber company. It was hard. So you've got all your blockchain issues and then you've got a whole other set of issues of how do you leakage and fraud and all these different issues that how do people trust that your coins actually remove the amount of carbon taken? So it's, you've got two powerful forces on both sides of what you guys are trying to do. This is the question that we're most commonly asked by people who are in the know. The verification piece is definitely the biggest looming one. Do you uh, want to take a stab at how how that works? Sure, I'll try. I mean, I, admittedly, we're just a bunch of masochists and we <laughs> like to work on really hard problems so that we don't get bored. And yeah. so carbon removal, really complex. Blockchain, really complex. Yeah. You need to understand both of these two things in order to really grok how our system works. At the end of the day, with the estimation, we want the models that estimate to get better and better with more verified data. So mm-hmm. there's this feedback loop which can feed into understanding with better resolution how it all works. And that's why we're collaborating with Comet Farm because they've been doing this for 25 years and have been improving these models. They like us because we give them verified data. Now, the way in which we verify the data in the first methodology we have set up is we have farmers going into a 10-year contract. And at the end of that contract, there is a field visit and there's a basically... Today, what we're talking about, you would be scooping up the soil and sending it back to the lab and doing a soil organic matter reading, which tells you how much carbon content. 
But we're also looking 10 years ahead. And we assume that the technologies to do that measurement of how much carbon is in the soil will get better 10 years from now. And Nori is taking the risk and able to take the risk. So when we create our tokens, about half of what we generate is going into an insurance pool. So in the case where a farmer might plow the land and the carbon goes back into the atmosphere, the tokens which we're putting in the escrow or the restricted account will then go purchase new CRCs from our marketplace. Mm -hmm. And we also have Nori tokens in an insurance pool in the case that there's leakage from that carbon. So we're able to take the buffer which existed in red and that actually counted against the project operator where they wouldn't be able to sell that. And we say, no, we'll take on that risk because ultimately what we want to deliver is carbon removal as a service. Mm -hmm. We're really excited about sort of internet of things, devices that can help improve the quality rating of how we estimate CRCs and building an open architecture to say, we're not going to prescribe how you do this, but if you do these things and if you give us more data, you can get better quality readings. And so looking at things like satellite imagery or drone footage yeah. with a lot of farmers are actually gathering that data from drones, not to put more carbon in their soils, but to make more agronomic decisions. Mm -hmm. And so we hope that what we are building is going to be a reference price that helps say, okay, I'm trying to get my sort of average production per acre. And that's an indicator of like what I'm selling for these crop prices. But oh, also, if I'm doing things that's putting more carbon in the soil, that's another economic decision maker tool that fits into the suite of the farm management software that farmers are using. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really challenging. We need to work with the best of the best scientists. And the part of why we're doing this podcast and we're approaching this not in a black box, but just totally in a transparent fashion is to get the feedback and the peer review of is the metrics and accounting system that we're building accountable? Will that hold up? That's why getting the alpha users to sort of go through our system and get all those costs right is really important at this stage in the business. You just have to prove that you've got a product that helps them do what they're trying to do on a day-to-day -day basis and adds value to what they're doing. But otherwise, they've been, especially in this state, having, I came up in the biofuel world in this state, and there's always been strong cooperation, failures, and successes with the ag community, but they've always been open to innovation in the state. And what WSU does at places like Prosser and whatnot is really interesting on that innovation side of ag, more on the in-the-field technology. But yeah. yeah, I didn't realize before working at Nori just how much innovation happens in agriculture and how much tech is involved. Soil has gotten me quite interested in the last year, you could say, and same with agriculture. Were you like that too? They've been running autonomous combines for a long time. I, I got to give a lot of credit to one of the people we had on the podcast, and he's also a professor at UW, Dave Montgomery. He wrote a great book called Growing a Revolution. And for anyone who's just getting into this space to read that book and sort of listen to some of the stories of farmers who are doing things to put more carbon in their soils, it's a great way to really get into the weeds I like dirt, the erosion of civilization. Get into the weeds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Puns are much abused around here. Analogies get it the worst. Those often get tortured until they scream. Yeah. Well, this has been a wonderful podcast. I'd like to give both of you sort of the opportunity to give some final words about anything at all. So we are trying to provide regulatory certainty for blockchain. That is top priority for me and for commerce. Don't know that the legislature will go along with it, but there's support for this on the R and the D side. So this is a good time for everybody who's in the blockchain space to actually get involved, you know, to engage with the elected officials and say, here's what we need. We don't have to wear a suit, do we? Actually, you do you see me in a suit? Are yeah. we wearing suits? <laughs> Jeans and a collar shirt? That's yeah, good. you're good. All right. Yes. And uh, people showing up with dodo bird heads at blockchain conferences. Can we do that? 
you wouldn't be the most unusual people down yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> You should be there, what is it, rancher day when they all show up with the steaks and everything? Oh, yeah. yeah. No. Good but, free food during legislation, <laughs> if you know it. This coming session will be a really important one. I think this is where we start to set the baseline for where Washington is going to be with respect to a serious approach to blockchain, which honestly Wyoming hasn't taken just to be competitive and frank. <laughs> Arizona, though, you don't like the sandbox approach that they're all taking? I think Arizona's a bit more measured, but I don't think they've thought through what they're actually trying to accomplish. And let's face it, Arizona's not a major state. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I didn't realize you guys were all like this. Is this common for people who uh, work at the state governments? Do they look at the other states and are like yeah, a bunch of... Yeah, it, it's hired a bunch there. of provocateurs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they always try to compare. They want me to compare us to other states. I don't like it because other states are so different, their utility systems and whatnot. And I will say we are extremely collaborative up and down the West Coast. We are. We're being very good spirited. Yeah. That last one Inner Mountain, not as much. We're from there. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a little that was Personal, yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> That's okay then. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the blockchain, I agree. Talk to Joseph about the blockchain. What I'd want your listeners to think about is all the amazing stuff that's going on in Washington State around the way we do research, development, and demonstration of new technologies around energy efficiency, building, design, construction, management, operation, the build out or the lack of build out, and the way we operate our grid. And between PNNL, WSU, UW, I think people know those acronyms, as well as some really progressive utilities like Avista, Snohomish PUDs, always got to be mentioned, Seattle City Light, Puget Sound Energy. They're all doing amazing things. And basically, all these things have the potential to be underlined, have blockchain integrated into what they're doing. And it's all about huge information flows on the grid and how you use that information wisely and electrification and transportation. There's lots of opportunities. And I think people come here and they think of all the opportunities with Microsoft and Amazon. I try to get them to look at all those opportunities around the software that underlies everything that goes on in energy in the state. There's lots of cool stuff. We're in town to poach those employees. So thank you, Microsoft <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Amazon yeah, yeah. for training them very well. We're yeah. ready for you. <laughs> yeah. And I say to all those geeks out there that want a new challenge, look at the energy field. I mean, it is more complex than you will ever imagine. That's great. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. That was very fun and informative. Looking forward to hanging out with you both in the future. All right. Thanks. Thank you very thank much. You.